chapter 14, verse 6. And while you're turning there, I want to say appropriately that it's great. It's a great honor to stand here and to preach from this pulpit to this congregation. I give honor to my pastor, Brother Bradford, and his family. I give honor to my bishop, Brother Frost. I love these men. They're world class. There's nobody like them. They're the best. And I'm very partial and prejudiced towards them. And I'm thankful that God's put them in my life. And if they're listening, I just want to let you know that I love you. Amen. It's good to have our visitors looking all the way in the back. It's not hard to miss. Brother Chad Bradley is here. And he's brought, he's brought a man-child with him, I believe, Bennett. Bennett Clay, right? Man, look at that guy. Look at that guy. That is a miracle right there. And it's great to see his lovely wife, Sister Melissa, all the way from... Pennsylvania, and I don't know if this is the first service, but I saw Stephanie with Kaylee. Is that correct? Kaylee Winkler. It's good to have her here with us. House of the Lord. House, the house of the Lord is expanding. Amen. We're thankful for that. Good to see everyone else that is here. While you're standing, I'll read this scripture. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And from this, from this text, I want to title this, for memory's sake, same way, same woman, different well. Amen. Would you help me preach this evening? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the Holy Ghost that is in this place. I pray, Lord, that you touch our hearts and minds, that you would permeate throughout this congregation, Lord, and saturate us with your spirit. Lord, help us, God, to draw closer to you. We thank you for everything that you're doing. Do extraordinary things in the house of the Lord and beyond these four walls, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. I appreciate being here this evening. It's good to be back home. We traveled to Tulsa, and it is just good to be back home. There is something about sitting in the car for a certain amount of time that you just want to get out of it, and this is a great place to be. I'm glad I'm not in that car drive, driving across the desert. Amen. I want to read a passage, and I'll be doing a lot of reading tonight on some scriptures, but this scripture passage found in Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 53, reads, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph? and Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Verse 57, and they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, and in his own house. And he did many, did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And what a sad state of affairs. Jesus goes to the ones he grew up with, the ones he loved the most, and by their own admission, they said he has wisdom, he's doing mighty works. They understood that the man in front of them had some knowledge, had some wisdom, was able to do some mighty things. But then they started comparing him and, and, and looking at him through a different lens. Well, isn't he just the carpenter's son? His mother, we know her, it's Mary, and his brethren are all here. here. And so they were offended at him, the scripture says, because they, they just put him in a place that he shouldn't 
be. They didn't exalt him as the Lord God Almighty. And he could not do anything there because of their unbelief. Perspective is important. The right perspective is even more so. And that is a, a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something. A point of view. One had told me that you should always look for the best in people. Because it's very easy to find otherwise. You can look at someone and you can pick them apart for everything that is negative. But it's a skill. And it is something in the heart of a Christian that should be there. That when you see somebody, you should look for the good in them. Jesus, he exemplified this in many ways. We remember the lady that they were going to stone, the harlot. But Jesus didn't see her as a harlot, although he knew and addressed that situation in the way that he only could. But he made a way for her. He saw the good in her and told her to go and sin no more. Perspective is extremely important. If you have the right attitude, that can be a perspective. And so many times you can go into life situations with a skewed view. And, and right out the bat, you're going to have difficulties. If you go into math class and you just tell yourself, I cannot do math. You're going to have a hard time learning because you've already set yourself up for failure. You've already put your, yourself in a place where you don't think you can become or you can learn anymore. But if you go with the right attitude, you might not be able to be the smartest mathematician, but you can certainly glean something and learn something with the right perspective. We need to have the right perspective on all things. And so I'm going to read to you now an interesting story, and I'm going to read it twice. And it has to do with perspective. So here we go. Have you ever misperceived a situation or cast wrongful judgment? Yes, I have. I've done that. I've been that person not once, not twice. I probably couldn't count how many times I have misjudged a situation or a person, even though I can quote, don't judge a book by its cover. It's something we do continually. And many times we can do it incorrectly. Here is the story. Story says, I was walking down the street the other day looking for a new client's office and I was having a little trouble finding it. I really didn't know that end of town very well, so I was concentrating more on the numbers on the buildings than where I was going. As I turned the corner, hopeful I was headed in the right direction, I heard a loud clattering sound and looked up. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a huge man on a bicycle careening down the sidewalk, arms and legs flailing. He was obviously unable to steer, let alone stop. Immediately realizing the danger, I dropped my briefcase and dove headfirst into the nearby bushes, narrowly escaping an accident with an overweight hit-and-run cyclist. I popped out of the shrubbery, branches in my hair, and looked down the sidewalk. He was gone. Here's the perspective. What a jerk. What was he doing on the sidewalk with that bike? And anyway... What was he doing on a bicycle in, that first, in the first place when he clearly wasn't able to ride one by himself? He should be off learning somewhere else. The nerve. He could have killed me. How unbelievably dangerous. What on earth did he think we have streets for? Sidewalks are not for pedestrians, not bikes, especially not for out-of-control ones. What if an old lady had been in his way? She would have had no chance at all. Imagine the gall of this guy. 
and look at my clothes. I was a mess. My jacket was torn. My knees were scrubbed. My hands were dirty. And I broke one of my heels off. Wow, shoes were expensive too. I couldn't possibly go to my appointment like this. I was really angry and rightly so. The cyclist was clearly at fault. I pulled out of my telephone. I, I pulled out my telephone, which probably was broken, although it looked okay, and canceled my appointment. I found my briefcase lying in the dirt next to the bushes. The leather was scratched and all my papers had fallen out. The laptop was probably ruined, but I decided to check that later. I gathered all my things, took the broken shoe off, and limped back to my car. What a jerk. And to the individual, I would say many things, probably the same myself, because we all have had bad days and we have all had the bad perspective. And, and not to pick on someone who might have had this happen to them, but I can imagine all of the rage that would be filled with an individual with this kind of happening. But here is a different perspective. Same story, I was walking down the street the other day looking for a new client's office. I was having a little trouble finding it. I really didn't know that end of town very well. I was concentrating more on the numbers and the buildings themselves where I was going. As I turned the corner, hopefully I was headed in the right direction. I heard a loud clattering sound and looked up. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a huge man on a bicycle careening down the sidewalk, arms and legs flailing. He was obviously unable to steer. He alone, let alone stop. Immediately realizing the danger, I dropped my briefcase, dove headfirst into the bushes, narrowly escaping an accident with an overweight hit-and-run cyclist. I popped out of the shrubbery, branches in my hair, and looked down the sidewalk. He was gone. Here's a different perspective. Wow. That guy could have killed me. I couldn't believe it. My response time was unbelievable. Imagine, I was in those bushes within a fraction of a second. Incredible. And with high heels on. Oops, make that high heel. One of them didn't survive. I broke the heel off the other shoe so I could walk straight. Thank goodness I bought expensive shoes. They even looked good without heels. I was impressed. My years of working with horses had definitely paid off. I could really get out of the way fast. I gave myself an emotional pat on the back. I'd like to see my son move like that, downright elegant the way I dove into those shrubs. I brushed the dirt off my pants. Let's make that skirt. Pleased I had worn, pleased I had worn brown. Most people I know would have been flat flattened. They would have had a chance. They wouldn't have had a chance. I snickered smugly and plucked the leaves from my hair. Feeling ever so athletic, I gathered all my scattered papers, shoved my laptop back into my briefcase, and checked the address. Yep, this was the right building. Wasn't even late. I wiped my hands on the uh, lining of my jacket and rang the buzzer. Look out, world. Here I come. What a difference it makes just to change your perspective. What a difference in this story it made in the life of an individual. And I know it's just a story written for uh, learning purposes but there's a lot to glean from. There's a lot to learn from this. Address or, or, or attitude is everything. The way you address a situation is everything. You can go in with a bad attitude to something, and it won't end well, but you can have the right attitude. And just the way you greet people sometimes, just the way you say hello on the cell phone means so much. They say when you're talking on the cell phone, if you smile while you're talking on the cell phone, you actually sound more pleasant. And the people on the other side will be more apt to help you in whatever you need. Maybe you're on customer service, or maybe a bill collector has called you. If you smile while you're talking to them, it will change your whole attitude, your whole perspective. And that's important. The Bible is something that encourages, uh, encourages us all the time. The, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not being sour and not 
keeping your head in the molly grubs? How do you find joy in a sorrowful situation? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can find peace and you can find help and you can find mercy. And when you understand all of the good things that come, all of the, all of the, all of the benefits there are in reading the word of God and praying and touching the throne of grace, it really does change your perspective. I wonder sometimes if our problem literally is we don't pray enough and we don't read enough. And that's why we can have hard days and bad days because our faith is falling, our joy is falling, and we're not trusting in the Lord like we should because we haven't drawn close enough to him to get a better perspective. Thank, I'm thankful for a midweek service for Tuesday on the rock where we can convene and come to the house of the Lord and our faith can be strengthened and the word of God can be input in our hearts and we can have a different perspective. It was the same bike. It was the same bush. But it all had a different meeting. It was a different day. There are things in, in my occupation that I have learned whenever we are looking for a monument or something that has been buried in the earth for over 50 plus years, 80 years, and we, we, it hasn't been touched by human hands or seen by eyes in that length of time. Um, we may calculate a position based off found monuments and go to a place and dig, and uh, we can give up very easily because we cannot find the monument we're looking for so we can create property, and it can be very frustrating. We're digging deep holes in hard earth, and one of the many things that I have learned through others who have surveyed and through teachings of those that have been around the bush, per se, is go from a different monument, get a different perspective, walk the line from the different direction. And a lot of times it works because you don't know exactly how that monument was set, or maybe you do, but the earth was different or, or, the, or, or the, everything was different. So if you just have a different perspective, a different approach, a different angle added, a different point of view, you can get to where you want to be just by changing your perspective. The way that we see things can be easily adjusted. And I'm going somewhere tonight, but I just want to say that we all have purpose today in the house of the Lord. There's not one person here that you're the least of these, that you don't matter, that God doesn't have something special for you, but you have something that God wants to use. You're a very, very uh, precious child of the King. You're a peculiar people and you are called I said, you are called tonight in the house of the Lord. You may not believe that, but let me tell you, you are called. You are called to be an important part of the body of Christ. The Bible says we are one body. We are many members. The body is one, but it hath many members. And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not just one member, but many. The foot shall, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? The whole were hearing, where were the smelling? The body... And if we were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members yet but one body? The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of thee. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our comely parts have more abundant comely, comeliness. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We are the body of Christ. And we all make up this thing. We all make it up together. 
and I need you, and you need me. It's not going to work any other way. The eye needs the hand, and the hand needs the foot, and the foot needs the pinky toe. And if you don't believe the pinky toe has importance, stub that thing in the middle of the night on your way to the refrigerator to get a drink of water. I've said it many times. You stub your pinky toe on the corner of a table leg, the whole body stops. And that uncomely part has more comeliness, and you're massaging it, and you're rubbing it, and hopefully you're praying instead of saying other things. But what is the perspective you have of yourself? How do you see yourself? God has a special calling on you, and you're important. And let me say, the, the foot cannot do what the hand does. And it's unseen. Well, without the foot, the hand cannot operate in the way that it should. And the body cannot move the way that it should. Everybody cannot be an eye. And everybody cannot be the mouthpiece. Everybody cannot be the head. But you have a particular place in the kingdom of God. And you are valuable. And I want to change your mindset today and tell you that God loves you. And you are very, very intricately and beautifully made in the Holy Ghost. And we ought to treat each other as such. We ought to love one another. We ought to lift up one another and see the best that is in each other. Amen. You can look at your pinky toe and it has fungus on it, on the toenail. But you're not going to talk bad about it. You're going to try and get that fixed because you need the pinky toe. Amen. I'm not trying to be disgusting, but I'm trying to prove a point. You're not going to cut it off because you don't like the way it's looked or, or the way it's shaped. It has a very important function to the body. And you need it to survive. You need it for balance. You need it to walk right. So I'm going to look at it and see it in its best shape and do the best I can to take care of it. And that's how we should be in the house of the Lord. Our perspective should be, I need you and you need me. What can we do for each other to make this kingdom grow, to seek first the kingdom of God? Because without each other, we're not going to have a harvest. We're not going to have a revival. we got to work together. I want to see people saved. I have lost loved ones. I need the Holy Ghost. And I need you to help me to get them to this altar. I need musicians to play like they've never played before. I need people to preach. I need people to sing so that we can win this world, win this city. Because Jesus is coming no matter what they say. He's coming. And I need you. And I want to have the right perspective. I want to have the right perspective. I want to go through a story in the Bible, which is the thrust of this sermon today. Very popular read and a very needful read. And it's about Jesus and the woman of Samaria. You can find this in John chapter 4 from whence I'll be reading. Verse 1 says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Many times we read that verse and stop there and, and point out the importance of that verbiage that he must needs go through Samaria. He didn't have to. But Jesus made it a point to go through Samaria. He must, needs, go through Samaria. Verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. There was a well there, a prominent well, a very, uh, a very giving well, fresh water spring that was needed in this community. And it was about the sixth hour and just... Just to put you in this place, it was, that's about 
noon. The sixth hour is about noon. And Jesus goes to this well. He must needs go through Samaria. And when he did, verse 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Give me to drink. His disciples were gone out away into the city to buy meat. And this woman, being very observant, in verse 9, she said unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And this is true. The Samaritans, as you well know, are half-breeds. They're the offspring of both a Jew and Assyrians. When Assyrians took them captive, uh, Jews did not um, believe heavily on intertwined cultures, um, getting together and marrying, and that's how these Samaritans uh, became, Assyrians and Jews. And so it was not something the, the Jews uh, smiled upon, and she recognized right away that this man, Jesus, this rabbi, was a Jew. And she pointed out, you, you don't have any dealings with us. And there's many scriptural and historical reasons why a rabbi wouldn't talk to a Samaritan. Um, men very seldom didn't address women that they did not know. And so this was very peculiar to her. She was a Samaritan. Her perspective is a little different here of Jesus, and she's looking at everything in a physical way. And so Jesus, in verse 10, says to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He's speaking life to her, but she's unaware at this moment the meanings of Jesus' words. She's perplexed, and now can only see in the physical. So she says to him, you don't have anything to draw with. She points out the first thing that she sees. You don't, you don't have anything to draw with, and this well is deep, so where are you getting this living water? And her questions are not ignorant. She's making a, a, a very smart evaluation. She says, are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave us his will and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water, speaking of the water of the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman, still looking at the physical, still not understanding things from a spiritual perspective, she said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. For it was a daily task for her every day to go down to this well and to get water at noon because this is what women did in this culture because men were gone and they were working and so it was tasked to the women to go to the well and to get water and draw what they needed for their daily consumption. And so she's excited. Give me this water. I'll never have to go to this well again. And so Jesus turns it. He flips it. He understands she's not, she's not getting what I'm telling her. I love that about the Lord. He knows exactly what we need when we don't even know what we need. 
Amen. I'm thankful that I came to the house of the Lord one day, not understanding everything that the Lord had in store, and still don't understand everything that the Lord has in store, but he saw things different. He gave me something better. He gave me hope. He gave me faith. He gave me a life that I could never have asked for even better. Amen. God knows what's best for us. So he tells her, go. Call my husband and come here. Go get your husband and come to this well. And then all of a sudden, things change. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. Which to response, Jesus said, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that, in that, saidest thou truly. Now things change. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And she's right because the Samaritans, they weren't allowed to help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem because of, of who they were. And, and so they built in Jerusalem a temple for Moses where he, he, he read the covenant and they built a temple there. And so that's where they went and worshipped in that mountain. That's where they worshipped. They didn't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You don't know what you worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's preaching to her. He's digging into her spirit. He's revealing unto her spiritual things. And the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he's come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, he said, I that speak unto thee am he. He reveals unto her the answer that she needs. And he tells her that she has five husbands, has had five. He reveals unto her a past that she doesn't want to be made known. And this could have changed things depending on her perspective. We don't like it a lot of times when somebody reads our mail. We don't like it when we come to the house of God and it gets uncomfortable sometimes. And our hearts pricked. Thank God for the house of the Lord. Thank God for this hospital where we can come and we can hear the preached word of God or the Holy Ghost can move and it can work on something that is buried deep within our heart that could cause us grief and pain, where bitterness can be removed, where hatred can be extracted, where things of sin can go to an altar of repentance and be covered by the precious blood of Christ, which we sing about tonight so beautifully. This woman was just called out by the Messiah. The disciples come and they ask, why are you talking to this person, why are you speaking to her? She's a Samaritan. Right away they saw that this woman shouldn't even have been in the presence of Jesus. And they're questioning the master. The woman, though, <laughs> I like her perspective. The Bible says she left her water pot. She had business to take care of. 
She had things to do. She had chores at home. She had maybe children that needed to be fed. She had animals that needed water. She had some food to prepare, and she needed this water. Maybe she needed it for bathing purposes. But what just happened right now in the spirit realm was way more influential, influential to her than anything else. So she left her water pot, and she went her way into the city. And this is what she did. She told men, she said, come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? She was so excited that the master met her. And all he did was call her out for who she was. All he did was preach to her a little sermon about worship. All he did was talk to her about a new water that she could have. That, would, that if she got it, she would never thirst again. And from this little moment, this little encounter, her perspective was totally changed. And she goes into the city. And they went out of the city, the Bible says, after she testifies to them. This is, this is the Messiah. He told, he told me that I've had five husbands. He called me out. What a testimony. The Bible says that they went out of the city and they came unto him. And in the meanwhile, his disciples were with him. And later on, in verse 39, it says that many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. That was her, that was her report. I was going to get water, the Messiah was there, and he told me everything that I did wrong. This has to be the Messiah. It sounds almost humorous. But she was excited. She had a different perspective. And so, Verse 40, the Samaritans, when they were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them because Jesus must needs go through Samaria. So they asked him, we need you to stay here. And they besought him to tarry. And he abode there, the Bible says, two days. Jesus had plans to be elsewhere, but he must needs go through Samaria. And in those two days, many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of your saying, we don't just believe this Messiah because of your testimony, but we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after the two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. And then it says, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he had did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. Listen, if you don't want anything to do with Jesus, there's other people out there that need him and want something to do with him. Hallelujah. You can familiarize him and come to church and think it's just the same old church and we've had the same song set over and over, which we don't, but you can say those kind of things. You can say, well, so-and-so's preaching again or this is happening and what you're doing is you're taking away the faith that we have in a move of God. Or you can come and say, I'm so blessed to be in the house of the Lord today. All right, they're singing that song again. I remember one time when they sang it, so-and-so prayed through and someone came into the altars. Hallelujah. All right, so-and-so's preaching again. Oh, sister, so-and-so's here and she's lifting her hands. I'm so thankful it's her 5,287th time at the altar. But God's going to do something for her. She's in the right place. I want my perspective to change. I want God to move in my life. Hallelujah. Put your hands together and worship him. Not too much longer from being finished. 
Many came and besought him to stay because one woman didn't let her sin that was made manifest destroy her. She didn't become shameful. I'm sure there was some resentment in her lifestyle, but she was thankful that she met someone who was the Messiah. This is he. This is the Messiah. This is the one I've been looking for. And the perspective of revival is having Jesus in the center. If you want want revival, you have to have a good perspective. Jesus has to be in the center. Not your problems. You're going to always have problems. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Trigger alert. You're always going to have problems. It's never going to be easy. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how rich you are. You're always going to have problems. But you need to make Jesus the sender of your life, not your problems. You're always going to have duties. You're always going to have things to do. You're always going to have work. You're going to always have things you must accomplish. Man is cursed because he has to make a living by the sweat of his brow. Those things aren't going away. So you don't need to make them the center of your life. You need to make Jesus the center of your life. That needs to be your perspective. You're always going to have people with failures. You're always going to have things in your life you wish you never done. But don't make that the center of your life either because the blood is much more powerful than that. Just pray. Just believe on God. Just have a different perspective about life. Amen. When you get your eyes off of Jesus and on people, revival comes to a screeching halt. Listen, don't start comparing yourself. That's a bad perspective. What you need to do is have an attitude and a heart that says, God, any way you can use me, however I can be used in your kingdom, God, I will do it. I will do it. Hallelujah. Whatever it means to you, God, let me be a part of your kingdom. If it's a greeter, hallelujah, we've had many testimonies of people who said, this place is so welcoming. When I came, someone shook my hand right when I walked through the entrance and greeted me with a smile. And I felt like I was wanted in that place. That happens. That's important. Whatever I'm doing for the kingdom of God, I want to have the right perspective. Amen. When you worry about who God has used or is using and you get jealous, revival stops. Don't compare yourself. But you need to say, God, you love me. I may be just a pinky toe, but I know I'm important. God, what can I do? I need to find my calling. You need to get down and pray and say, God, what is it that you need me to do? Because this church is never so busy that we don't have a need for something or somebody to do something. There is so much to do in the kingdom of God. And as a matter of fact, the scripture said that we should be seeking first the kingdom of God. And I ask that today. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self? You'll be ha- unhappy if you just seek for things for yourself, materialistic things or whatever they may be, popularity or things that are vain. Don't seek for the the kingdom of self, but seek for the kingdom of God. God cannot do a mighty work in your church when the perspective of revival loses focus on the master. We need to have a focus on him. Amen. Amen. As the musicians come in conclusion tonight in this lesson, I want to read Matthew chapter 10, just a few more verses. Beginning at verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. The very hair, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my father which is in heaven. I love this passage. The song says, his eye is on the sparrow. 
This doesn't just mean when a sparrow dies, but this means every time the bird flies from its nest and is looking for food, there's provision on the ground. So every time it falls to the ground, there is provision there because the Lord sees to it that the sparrow is fed. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Some have more than others, but he knows because he's very interested in you. We could get caught up so many times coming to the house of God and worry about everything else, how everything else isn't right, how everything else isn't just perfect, how it could be better here and this over there needs to be worked on. And this isn't happening because this didn't work out. That's the wrong perspective, my friend. When you come into the house of the Lord, there should be a joy that fills your soul, that you know truth. And there is still a beacon of light in this city that preaches the word of God. What an honor. Because heaven and earth, it's going to pass away. Houses and cars are going to fade, wear down, break down. But the word of God shall stand forever. And when you're in the presence where the word of God is being opened and delivered unto you, you're a privileged individual. The world is walking away from truth. The world is disregarding the sacred writings of this book. We are privileged today to be in the house of the Lord. We are privileged today with the leadership that we have. I'm privileged today to be here. You're privileged because of us that are on the pews. Hallelujah. When we think in that manner, when we believe things in that way, we can have revival. The title is The Way. Same way. Same woman. Different well. He is the way. He's the truth. And he's the light. And you can have a perspective about him. But you can never deny who he truly is. He is the way. He makes a way when there is no way. He's the truth. And he is life. He giveth life and that abundantly. He's the way. Same way. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to change. However, he will increase as we decrease. That's beautiful. That's never going to change about him. He's the same. He's always going to get greater. I can come into this place with problems and I could be like the woman in the well just doing the daily task. Same woman, same man coming here. But when I get in touch with the way, my perspective is a lot different because I, I may have some problems and I may have some issues, but the way is here. And she could have left that way angry. She could have left that place and took her water pot and just continued life as the same old, same old. They say insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, expecting a change. The same woman could have lived that way, but she changed her perspective. She thought that day that she was going to go to the same well, and she was going to get the same water, and she was going to nourish the same people, and wash the same dishes and clean the same laundry from the same well. There was a different well that day. A well that gave life everlasting. A well that, that 
broke open and there was revival because somebody had a perspective that said, this is the Messiah. This is the way. Come and prove me wrong. So that's the altar call today. Collectively, every service, we come to the front as we stand together in this place and I come to a quick close. Interesting enough, we call this the well because it's the lowest part of the building that we're standing in. But it's also the place that we come to. Lift up our hands. Say, God, I don't want to leave the same way I came in. I want to change. I want to change. As we come tonight to this altar for a few brief moments, I want to know, how do you see Christ today? He is the way. He is the truth, and He is the life. I know it's Tuesday on the rock, but the Holy Ghost is in this place. Hallelujah. The power of Christ is here. The Holy Ghost wants to do something for you. What you need to do is come to this well and lift up your hands. Say, God, whatever needs to be in my life, whatever change needs to take place, God, I pray that you change my heart. God, that you give me, Lord, a new perspective, that you help me, Lord, become the man of God, the woman of God that you called me to be. I don't know, no longer do I want to live a life full of hatred, a life full of bitterness, but I want the well of living water to spring up in my life. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Hallelujah. Let's make some commitments right now. Let's lift up our hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's worship Him. God, do a work in my life. Hallelujah. Do a work in my life. I want revival. I want to see somebody full of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I want that person that I've been praying for to know that you are the Messiah, to know that you are the way, to know that you have the answer. Hallelujah. He still has the answer tonight. Hallelujah. Let's worship him. Let's worship him. God, we thank you. our hands and worship him. God, I thank you as they sing, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that's in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing it with them. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, you I magnify you that's right all across this place just for a few more moments hallelujah the Holy Ghost is in this house oh come see a man that told me what I needed to do to get my life right hallelujah hallelujah help me testify God of what you've done for me I love you Jesus I magnify you and give you praise hallelujah there's a change coming hallelujah Lord I have a right mind tonight change my mindset Lord I thank you and give you glory and honor praise God. 